The blueberry industry is like no other. Passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Well, we've been really enjoying these tech episodes every few weeks. It's been a great way to feature both the innovation of growers and companies who are trying to bring new technologies to the industry. We have another tech episode here for you today. So, of course, I have my trusty co-host with me for this episode, Mr. Rod Cook. So, Rod, give us a, a little background here about why you sought out this topic for today's episode. Well, you know... So far, Casey, we've been kind of doing, I won't call it traditional because it is technology and it is, we're trying to get as far out there as we can. But traditionally in these podcasts, we have talked with blueberry growers who have had a need, they've had an issue. And then we've talked with tech suppliers that are in blueberry fields with blueberry growers. But the world does not much to our sadness, does not run by blueberries alone. There are other crops out there and there's a lot we can learn from those other crops. So we've decided to go a little outside of our blueberry field today. We are going to be talking with Dennis Rack, Fredonia, New York. He is a large grape grower. He also works uh, very intimately, sets on the board of Welsh's, well-known organization, obviously, to everyone. And we also have Mark DeSantis from Bloomfield AI. This is a company, they are using sensors to try and look at different aspects of the crop. So it's not a spraying rig, it's not a real robot like we've used in the past, but this is using robotics and sensors and artificial intelligence to try and do better things in the grapes. And we'd like to find out a little bit more on how they're doing that and whether it's applicable to our blueberry crops as well. Yeah, I mean, what did you? What is it about this technology in particular that made you think this might be a ultimately a good fit for blueberries, Rod? You know, in the real kind of the drop dead issue for most people, beyond the labor issue of of looking at technology, getting the most money for our crops is critical. And one of the driving factors there is knowing exactly when you're going to pick, how much you're going to pick, and giving your marketing company as much lead time and that kind of information as possible. So I'd like to find out a little bit as we go forward whether that's getting closer to a reality with some of these sensors. And then, of course, you all have those horticultural issues, the tracing and the tracking. We've talked with drone people, but drone gives you that over canopy view. Uh, what we're going to find out from Mark today is a technology they're using, which gives more of a view in the canopy itself. So it's a ground based application. Kind of did a brief intro earlier, but uh, today we have with us a Welsh uh, company, uh, one of the board members and large uh, grower from Western New York, Dennis Rack. Dennis, why don't you give us a brief background, uh, a little bit about you, your family operation there, and, and a little better information for our growers to understand who you are and where you grow. Well, thank you uh, for the opportunity. It's uh, good to chat with everyone. So, our business, we run about a thousand acres altogether, about 450 of that is uh, grapes. Of those, about 250 are Concord and Niagara that are delivered to uh, Welch's for juice and jellies. 
and the other couple of hundred are for wine grapes, and they're sold to people from anywhere from Gallo to small farm wineries to a juice supplier out here who markets that across the country. The other major part of our business is uh, we start and sell grapevines to obviously growers all over the country, but we have an active website where we sell direct to consumer. You know, I've been involved in, in agriculture all my life, delivered eggs door to door, you know, the old type thing. And, and agriculture has really changed since then. And technology has been sort of the driving factor behind all of those changes. Again, I run the operation with uh, my wife and two sons, and uh, we've got about 50 employees. Always trying to innovate and find ways to, to make things more efficient and better. Fantastic. Well, that, obviously, that leads us right into the second part of our conversation here with, with Mark DeSantis. Mark's with Bloomfield AI. And Mark, again, I've told a little bit about the company, but tell us a bit about Bloomfield and yourself as well, if you would, please. Sure. Thanks, Rod. So very simply, we take pictures of plants and then we use those pictures as the basis for determining the health and performance of that plant. Just like somebody who would be trained to inspect any kind of plant, whether it be a botanist, agronomist, viticulturalist, who goes out and looks at the plant, we do exactly the same thing, except we use a camera. It's a camera that we built because there's special features on the camera that allow us to get the kinds of pictures we need. And then, as you mentioned earlier, AI then takes that picture pixel by pixel and looks for all the things that we've trained it to look for, which is all the things in the case of grapes, we are looking at the size of the grape, the color, shape of the cluster, the size of the cluster, the leaf, the tendrils, literally everything in the field of view. I always joke sort of that if you can see it, we can see it. The technology was developed at Carnegie Mellon over a period of about 10 years and was spun out about a year and a half ago. It's the same technology that is in some cases used in the movement of autonomous vehicles, where effectively they're using image processing cameras, if you will, video cameras in that case, to move the car around and identify things in the picture, except we're not using video, we're using still imaging. We have a camera that's about the size of a small toaster, and you set this camera on anything that moves. We've used uh, various kinds of ATVs. In the case of Dennis's uh, vineyard, we've actually used his tractors. And there's a, just a simple rig that you attach and then you can go 20 miles an hour if you want, drive in any way you can. And it snaps five uh, frames a second. It uses a stereo lens. So you're getting two different lenses. You're getting depth of field. And it also has its own light source. If you want to take pictures outside, you don't have to worry about the sun being down or it being night or anything. You can take it through a.m. or high noon. And then those pictures are analyzed by the AI in the cloud. And then a an analytic is produced for the grower, in the case of uh, growers. In most cases, we are predicting yield, timing of harvest, uh, infestation, mold, water stress. Wow, interesting. So, so Dennis, I, I guess, um, you know, we've, we've heard from Mark a little bit about Bloomfield and, and the product. How did, how did you get involved in this? I mean, what did you see when you, uh, when you saw the stuff that Mark's doing? One of the things that they had done is, is actually looking at number of shoots per plant through this efficient vineyard program that they'd worked with with Cornell. My first exposure was uh, in a Concord vineyard to try and reduce crop load fairly early in the season by removing a certain number of shoots. That's what got me started. And then uh, again, just in, in our nursery, we've got a similar situation where 
early in the season, we've got hardwood cuttings that we start out in the nursery and they begin to grow. And we plant about 3 million of these. And so what's important for us is to have a, a good estimate of how many of those 3 million cuttings are growing. And if they can identify a shoot in the vineyard, they can certainly identify a shoot growing in the nursery. So my thought was to take that technology and use it in the nursery to start to give me earlier estimates so that we have more accurate numbers to work with to sell to our customers. Interesting. So for those that don't know, in grapes, crop yield is really important and your, your best way to maximize quality and those sort of things is to limit the number of new shoots per vine Luckily, we don't have to worry about that in blueberry. We want every bud out there to have a, a cluster of fruit in it. So, Mark, I know you've got these two systems. One's called Flash and one's Blink. And apparently one's more kind of at the micro level, one's more macro level. Can you, you walk us through a little bit of, of those things? Sure. The one is called Flash is the one that's what I call scalable. So in a given day, for example, that camera mounted on an ATV can interrogate or inspect probably somewhere between 15 and 20,000 vines in the space of six, seven hours, because you're going about 10 to 15 miles an hour. Um, No stopping, you just drive, click, click, and it's just, and you're passing the camera in front of the vine. In some cases, the field of view is quite close. It might be a a couple feet, a foot and a half. In some cases, it might be six or eight feet, doesn't matter. The lensing will adjust or adapt. That's flash, and that's the one I call the scalable version. One other thing I should mention is each plant is geolocated. So we know that at the end of the day, when you get your analytic, you're basically creating a digital twin of your entire vineyard. So in the case of Dennis's vineyard with respect to the nursery, we actually have a digital twin of the nursery. So you not only have the analytic that's identified the problem and said, hey, there's a, this, these grape or this cluster of these leaves have an, have an issue. You've also geolocated it. The handheld version called Blink is one that if you need closer inspection, it actually does exactly the same thing, but microscopically. So it's about the size of a camcorder. All the things that are microscopically visible then get analyzed with the AI. One comment I would make to the audience who are unfamiliar with AI is 10 years ago and perhaps even five years ago, I could not have realistically make the claims that I'm making now. The state of image processing, the ability to take an image, whether it's a standard image you might get on a cell phone or a video, it sort of worked, kind of worked, not always. I can say that now. This technology is mature to the point where it works and can do many, many things. Interesting. So, Dennis, would you consider this still at your operation, the way you're utilizing this, are, is this still sort of an experimental deal or are you finding after uh, a few seasons that you're gaining quite a bit of confidence that this is really a tool that you can turn to? In the nursery, this was the first year that we did the imaging. So we've got data. We did scans at three different times to try and figure out when to optimize the timing. We've still got to work through some numbers to see what works best. But Now what we're doing is all of the plants have been harvested and are in our cold storage, and we're going through and grading those vines and finding out what the actual numbers are compared to what the imaging said. 
And we don't expect, you know, 100% of the plants that are imaged to be saleable. They could have other issues. They could have roots that maybe aren't uh, developed enough or other things. So what we're going to do now is actually variety by variety, try and come up with a correction coefficient or whatever you to say, okay, we're going to take the number we get from the imaging and maybe it's 80% of what that number is, is that what's what we can reliably say will be a, a saleable plant. So that's where we're at it with the uh, the nursery that we started this year. Definitely plan to, to do it again next year. And uh, I think what we learned this year, I can see it becoming a standard practice. Are these cameras that Bloomfield has, are you are you making special trips through the vineyard or through the nursery with that equipment just to do these counts, or is it mounted and on a rig that you're using, whether it's mower, tractor, et cetera? Are you gathering the data specifically because you're making the run through the vineyard, I guess is what I'm trying to ask, or is this something that you combine with other normal functions that you're doing? So this year we made a special trip because we were sort of in that learning process and we didn't really want to overcomplicate things. You know, let's let's do one thing at a time, learn how to walk before we run. But certainly going forward, I can see those cameras being mounted while we're doing normal operations and, and collecting the data at the same time. Uh, one of the first projects our committee did is a grower survey and. You know, as you would expect, we had a bunch of tech people that were kind of conducting it and very tech oriented, came out of Silicon Valley and things. And that was sort of a surprise to them as well when they, they got involved in the blueberry industry and they began to map out the adopters and adapters and all of these kind of things. And what they found was that, you know, the average small fruit grower, I think in general, especially true in blueberries, but I, I think in most of these other crops that I've been around, it is shocking how much we are willing to experiment and look at technology to try to resolve some of our issues. The inventions up to this point have been at the farm level, and it's only been taken into manufacturers after the fact. But we're kind of beyond that now with things like artificial intelligence. So few, very few of us would have the capability to do it. And that's why it's so important that we do these reach outs and try to understand what you're looking for as an entrepreneur and a startup company, and also try to help educate you and introduce you to groups like our growers. You know, one of the, one of the things, if I may, I've seen, um, again, with my one year of experience in ag, and it's something my co-founders who came out of CMU had, had done ag projects for a decade concluded is too often tech companies, particularly what I would call advanced tech like robotics and AI folks, they want to come to the grower with a big solution that's going to resolve all their problems. And what they don't understand is, number one, that's a big investment, not just in cash, but what we discovered and we sort of knew but discovered more added to was when you inter introduce a solution on a farm, they're not going to have to pay for that equipment. They have to change a bunch of other routines to accommodate the use of this tool, no matter how powerful it may be, it's like a pebble in a pond. It's not simply the device that I have to pay for and use and train and maintain. Now, this has caused me to look at a bunch of other routines 
that I now have to make an investment. And it's like a, a friend of mine said is, is every time they buy a piece of furniture, they have to change all the other furniture in the, in the, in the living room to match the furniture they just bought. And it's the same thing on a farm. And so what we said is, all right, here's, here's the deal. They don't want to buy technology. They don't want to buy hardware. They don't want to buy AI. They just want to buy inspection. And so how do we strip this down to the bare essentials to make it so ridiculously affordable so that the cost of this is inconsequential? It's not even a consequential cost. And you may ask, okay, why isn't, aren't you supposed to make money? Well, yes, indeed. And the way we do that is because it's AI, in order to allow the AI to get better, we need to see more blueberries. We need to see more grapes. The more grapes we see, the smarter we get for the next grape we see. I will make a bold claim. We may have the largest digitalized, if you will, database of Syrah grapes right now in the United States. We've digitalized a half a billion grapes and 300,000 vines from 12 vineyards across the United States. And so we want to encourage consumption. So our, our machine gets smarter the more it's used. And we are crop agnostic. I never, that's a phrase I never thought I'd use in my life. So we would look for blueberries. In fact, we have a dialogue with some folks in Chile right now about a possible deployment in Chile. Well, I was going to jump in just, I was going to play off one of Mark's metaphors for Dennis, just to understand. It sounds like Dennis is in the process of maybe updating his furniture. You know, he's bought a piece of furniture and now he's going through the process of, you know, redesigning the living room here. You know, all of our growers listening are going to be like, but is it making you money? Um, but what are you finding in this technology that either is making you or saving you that money that has you committed to that complete redesigned living room? I've done some of all of the things I mentioned before, the EC mapping, the yield monitoring, the variable rate things. And we've seen them work. But again, since I tend to be one of those people who jumps in early, you know, some of those things I got experience with and I said, yeah, I can see how this is going to work down the road, but I'm not quite there yet to go buy all the new furniture. I mentioned I've got a couple of sons in the business and uh, the youngest one now has decided that, okay, if we're going to do this, let's uh, let's do this right. So we, we invested this year in a new in a new grape harvester with a four row sprayer on it that has a yield monitor and a bricks monitor on it that we can use at harvest so that when we harvest, we're going to have those yield maps. We're going to have sugar uh, samples being taken. So we know if we're in a bad spot, we need to get out. But, you know, prior to that, you know, if we start doing all of the other things that I talked about as far as collecting information on leaf area and shoot numbers and the EC mapping and doing the variable rate things, that piece of equipment is going to allow us to do a lot of those things because we can mount cameras on that and do a lot of stuff at the same time. So yeah, we've spent a lot of money on the furniture this year. One of the things I think concerns growers is they hear about these large data collection systems. We had uh, people on from Borough Technology and they were just talking, as you had said, Mark, they they use all these cameras just to navigate through the field and the the amount of data collected is just an enormous number in a single day. When you're digitizing a vineyard, Dennis, are you able to get effective information? I mean, are you finding it easy enough to sort through the kind of information generated from this kind of equipment to utilize effectively, or is that still part of the ongoing process? 
Well, uh, I will say uh, that the guys at Bloomfield made it pretty easy for me to use the data. Uh, basically, they've set up what they call a dashboard, which actually allows me to go row by row and look at every plant in that row. They have the ability to count the plants in that row to give me a percentage of how many of those plants are growing. And that's all in a nice format on a website that they have set up for me. And so, yeah, it's it's been really easy to use that information. So I guess I would like to kind of go towards the blueberry side of it and what does it take to adapt this kind of technology to any new crop? I mean, you're working in grapes right now. If I just said, look, we, we need a good crop estimator in blueberries, and uh, it's displayed a bit like grape, but not quite as refined. What does it take? Is it, it take numerous years? And, you know, I mean, are we looking at a 10-year investment in time and, and work? No, no, not not uh, five years ago, ten years ago. I would have said, "Yeah, it's a it's a long haul." Not not so much now. Um, there's two things to think about. There's the physical world that we have to contend with of how blueberries are grown and what form are they observable from somebody standing near them, etc. So let me come back to that. Then there's the kind of um, training mode, and so anybody who's in deep learning or AI would find that very familiar term of training. So you have to tell it what to look for. And you have to be very specific, but you need and you need a number of instances. And then when you've shown it enough instances of the thing you want it to see, let's take mold on blueberries. Uh, first order of business is to know that it can identify a blueberry, distinguish it from the other things on that blueberry bush, the other features to distinguish it. And then once you've been able to accurately, regularly, reliably identify blueberries, then you begin the process of identifying that particular kind of mold. Really, whatever the problem may be, you need a number of instances of those. You don't need tens of thousands. Uh, you could probably get by with, with hundreds of instances. Uh, in the case of Dennis, was a was a great example with the nursery. He said, okay, Dennis, what do you want us to see? And he effectively said, look, I need to see green and in this way. And when you see that, that's good. If you don't see green, but you see the, the vine, I need to know that too. So green or no green. That was a little bit of over-the-shoulder instruction. We then went through some training where basically people are looking at pictures of, of Dennis's vines. Some have green, some don't. There's a little bit of a, almost like a drawing you would do over that. Once you've trained it, you get enough instances, we're called instances. You put it through the machine, then spits out a result, and then uh, Dennis would then look at it and say, yeah, that's a fair judgment. You do a little bit more training and you're off and running. So that's the virtual training part. That's actually pretty quick. Um, we have actually begun looking at uh, blueberries at apples, cherries, sorghum. Okay, so now you have the camera in the field and or in the grow, in the indoor grow. It could be outside indoor, could be in a vertical farm, whatever. But how do we move the camera? And how do we position the camera to get the maximum surface area of the thing we're looking at? In this case, blueberries. Do we need to see every blueberry uh, or do we need to see every grape on the vine? No, we just need to see enough. And interestingly, and this is really kind of fascinating thing about AI, is once you've seen enough instances, the machine can begin making inferences. So if we look at clusters, even though we can't see the back of that cluster, you can make inferences. You get pretty good judgment about how big that cluster is, how many grapes. 
So when you've seen enough instances, when you've trained it to see the thing, and then it starts seeing lots of it, it can begin making remarkable assumptions and predictions about what it can't see. In other words, what's on the other side of that vine. And there's a bit of testing. So in the case of blueberries, if somebody were listening and said, I want to try that, probably within a month, we have collected data, analyzed it, and are able to begin the process of analytics and collecting and then showing a result. It's probably the thing that if I took a bunch of AI companies and said, what makes this one special? I would say out loud, we learn at a much faster rate than other AI companies do. And that's really what makes Carnegie Mellon's AI unique as well. And in the instances when it's serviced, companies like Facebook and Apple and Tesla and others, it's the speed at which the AI can learn. And that's really what sets us apart. Dennis, is this something that, I mean, you're involved in National Grape and of course Welsh's, but you're also doing wine grape work as well. Do you see the advantage or value of utilizing this more in the harvest technology as you go along? Or is this still kind of a a shoot and um, nursery application in your mind at at this stage of the game? No. uh, Well, first thing I've got to get this out there, just so uh, everybody knows, my breakfast is a bowl of honey nut Cheerios with blueberries in it. All right. (laughs) I figured I've got to to come clean on that. I do anymore. But... You know, I think uh, as far as this technology uh, in particular, but other technology combined with this, I think is where I see agricultural going. So as I look now at like a national grape, I mean, what, what we need is consistent crops of high quality fruit. So how do we do that? And I think it starts with you know, uh, making soils maps with EC mapping, looking at shoot numbers early on. We do uh, harvest estimating at 30 days post bloom. We get into these vineyard mapping where we'll do variable rate thinning of the crop load to make sure that we, we do this. And it's all tied to technology and, you know, GPS and geolocation in the vineyard is really what's critical because that allows you to do variable rate work and to try and have more uniform yields and more uniform quality across the vineyard. Uh, You know, and that leads to variable rate fertilization and, you know, a whole lot of things. Pulling all of these things into the big picture and tying them all together so they work together uh, really is what's going to drive the quality and yield and the economics of it. I mean, we make more money when we have consistent, reliable, high-quality crops. Well, this has been fascinating. I know our audience will really appreciate your guys' time. and, and Great. Appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully you're already subscribers of the Business of Blueberries, but we'll let you know when this episode hits. Yeah, uh, that'd be great. Thanks again. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you all. All right. Well, thank you. You guys have a very happy holiday season and uh, stay safe. Well, Rod, once again, fascinating conversation there with Mark and Dennis. I really appreciate the time they've spent with us to kind of give us some insights and perspective from a a different industry and certainly new technology for our industry to consider. Do you think we'll be using this in blueberries anytime soon, Rod? Well, you know, it's an interesting conversation. One thing in talking with Mark uh, prior to the podcast, they are doing work in some trees and grapes in Washington State. And he asked me if there might be some growers to chat with out there. So 
I would not be too surprised if we'd actually see some beginning. And of course, he mentioned some work in Chile as well. So it could be much faster than I think. What needs to be figured out is whether they can take enough information through the canopy of our bush and things to really make a big difference and, and to give us the kind of information on crop size and those things that, that would really, really make a economic difference. Yeah. Well, and, and other takeaways that you gathered from today's conversation? Not necessarily the specific conversation, but I think it it reinforced my belief that we need to continue to look beyond just the blueberry industry and those people who are interacting with us today. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of technology out there. And one of the critical functions uh, that I know our committee takes quite seriously is not just educating our growers about technology, but educating that technological community about the blueberry industry. We've got we've got a lot of not only needs, but we're a really cool crop to do research on because of all the different areas in the world. So you can get this seasonality and yet stay within variety and a number of things from a technical standpoint when you're trying to test and replicate trials time and time again to really fine-tune your equipment, this should be right up the alley of any of these tech firms, and we need to get that information out. Well, and I think this podcast certainly is doing a great job of inviting some of these tech companies to our industry and just kind of understanding what more we could be looking forward to as a, a group of growers. But I, I, I certainly couldn't help. I was listening to them talk, thinking about what Jordan's substrate conversation would mean to you know, having the burrow running through with one of these cameras, with a drone flying above. I mean, Rod, you've really brought together a very futuristic picture of what a future blueberry farm could look like. And <laughs> Exactly. That's watching too much Jetsons when I was young, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just really great to have uh, these episodes coming together to kind of give us a picture of what the future can really look like. And I think for me, when I'm listening to people like Dennis and, and certainly Mark working together, just how much innovation still left in not just our industry, but for other industries that are looking for similar technologies. And I really appreciated the living room analogy that they understand that when they're moving a piece of furniture out for something new, that it's going to have an effect on the whole. And that's certainly true. I'm sure all of our growers, our audience listening resonates to that issue as well. So another great episode, Rod. Great job. This was fantastic. Really appreciate you bringing this all forward for us each episode. You bet. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, organization and appreciate our listeners out there. So please keep on, subscribe, and uh, we'll see if we can't keep this thing going. Amen. All right. Well, that's it for episode 27. Thanks so much for those of you who have subscribed and shared this podcast. The show has now been downloaded over 7,500 times in its first six months. I think that's pretty incredible, and I'm excited to see where this podcast will go into the future as well. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. So Dennis eats his breakfast with the blueberries, and I will tell you, Dennis, I drink a lot of wine, so we can break bread and support each other. <laughs> uh, but not during the podcast, Rod. But not during the podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Well, <laughs>